uh, I was out with my family. We were shopping. The wife, were, the wife and the kids were shopping in the malls, and then I brought my mini office with me, and I would plant myself in a coffee shop, and we'd go to the next mall, and I'd plant myself in another coffee shop. And so uh, I was in a Starbucks, and uh, there was these three young guys, and they were uh, having a little Bible study. And, and the only seat that was open was right next to them. So I'm uh, opening up my Bible and doing some writing, and I can't, well, I was listening to what they were talking about. You know, They were having a very, very deep conversation about the Bible and soul winning and all these things. And, and, and you know, they're just sitting there talking about it while all these sinners are walking by in the coffee shop. And so I couldn't help but ask. I said, I'm curious, guys. I don't mean to butt into your little thing, but I'm studying the Bible. You're studying the Bible. What is your method of evangelism? And so one young guy, he pipes up. He goes, the first, I just want to let you know that my mom, she's the pastor of the church that I go to. And what we believe, sharing how we share the gospel, <laughs> is we try to live out our example. And when people see us, they ask, what is it about your life that's just so different? And then we tell them the good news. I said, wow, have you, have you won anybody like that? No. <laughs> then the other guy, the Bible study leader, he pipes in and says the same thing. And then they ask me, what's your method of evangelism? And I said, well, truthfully, I, just tell them what the Bible says, that their sin is going to send them to hell. And that hell is a real place. And if they don't repent, that's where they're going to go. And they looked at me horrified. <laughs> and then the girly man said, you really do that? <laughs> I'm like, dude. <laughs> Jesus did that. Everybody did that. That's why they try to kill him, you know? Wasn't, you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild with a lamb around his neck. They were trying to kill him. And so they're just looking at me with disgust. And I'm telling them, man, you guys can really have a powerful impact on, on, uh, on lives if you just preach the gospel. And they just, you know, they're just sneering at me. So I went back to my studying. And they kept talking. You know, and then I could hear them whisper, what a jerk, what an idiot. I know, he's so, like, confrontational. <laughs> I couldn't help it, so I said, I said, guys, I, I said, doesn't it bother you that there's sinners out there that are dying? Look, man, we're trying to have our Bible study. Just leave us alone. I said, I said man, how long have you been saved? He goes, five years, the, the other guy. And I said, have you ever won anybody using this method? He goes, No. I said, I said, I'll show you that this method works. And there's two teenage girls. I said, hey, ladies, can you come here for a minute? We just want to ask you a few questions. And they were like, <gasps> you know, the two ladies came over. And I said, come on, guys, stop being Baptist. Introduce yourselves. You're Christian, you know. So we start witnessing to these girls. I start witnessing to these girls. They say the sinner's prayer right there. Oh, my gosh, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. They leave. And I said, see, it works. They go, ah, you know. And, and then a bunch of thugs walk, walked in. You know, their, their pants are sagging. Ah, you know, they're throwing their drink, their Starbucks thing, you know. And I said, doesn't that bother you that those guys are going to hell? And, he goes, and he's just looking at me. I said, hey, you, you know, Mr. Bible study leader. I said, I said, if you had a best friend, you knew he was sleeping around. He's involved in porn and all kinds of stuff. And he asked you, how do I get to heaven? What would you say? Or, or, or if I were to die, where do you think I would go? He, and he says, well, I would just tell him that's up to God. I said, you know what? I said, I said you guys make me sick. So I called those thugs. I said, hey, guys. And, you know, they all turn around. And these three Christians are like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's doing this. We call all these gangbangers over. By this time, my wife is sitting next to me with the kids. And I start to witness to these guys. And I tell, you know, I ask them, you know, are you, 
you know, what kind of life are you living? And one guy says, well, I sleep around. I look at porn. I, and it comes down to it. They said, I guess we're going to hell. And one guy, his eyes start to well up with tears. These three Christian boys are amazed. And, and uh, in the end, these uh, teenagers all prayed. And by this time, these three Christians are so broken. When these guys leave and the three Christians says, Would you, will you please pray for me? And, and can we have a flyer to your church? And I said, listen, guys, you can't hide behind the Bible. Behind your church, you got to go out and do something radical for Jesus. And beloved, if we're not careful, just like what Pastor Cox preached last night, we can be content. We'll just be like the people uh, that were like the school of prophets. And we study the Bible, we know the Bible, but we don't do anything outside of the ordinary, outside of ourselves. And can I tell you, God can do great and mighty supernatural things through a person who is surrendered and will not let anything get in the way of what God wants to do. And in our text, we have a man who is just like that, and his name is David. If you have your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31, I've entitled this sermon, Giant Slayers. And uh, the setting of our text, uh, right now they're about to go into battle. David comes to bring supplies to his brothers. He has a confrontation with his brother Eliab, and Eliab is accusing him of, of just trying to be there just to see, just to see the show. And we're going to and now Saul gets word that there's someone who is willing to stand up against Goliath. Verse 31. Now, when the words of David were uh, now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard. This dude is bad. And struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear and the uncircumcised. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And go down to uh, verse 40. I just have to read this just for... Everybody knows this story, but man, when I read this, it's like, it's like watching a movie. It's amazing. I love this fight. Then he arose and took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine, this is cool. Now they're going to start talking smack to each other. This is the, the fight begins. And said, David, am I a dog that you come to me with your sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, this is cool. What a comeback. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the host. And the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you uh, into our hands. Now this part, I don't know what it is about me, 
But when I read this part, I hear heavy metal music. Like when I'm reading this, I hear this. Jesus. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone. This is so awesome. And he slung it and stuck, uh, struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no hand in the sword of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah aroused and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to pray. Heavenly Father. I thank you that we can be here this morning. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God. I pray that you would inspire us to do great things for you, Father. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Giant slayers. The first thing that I want to consider is stereotypes. You know, in Israel right now in our text, there is a crisis. Saul has messed up one too many times. Uh, There's a new king about to be anointed. They anoint David. And now they're in the midst of a battle and the armies of God are paralyzed by the Philistines and this champion, Goliath. There's fear and terror in them. Forget what God has done in the past. Forget the uh, the deliverance from Egypt. All the miracles that God has done. Now they're standing before this giant shaking. And God's answer is a man that is willing to let, uh, allow God to do anything in his life. And that's David. 1 Samuel 16.1 says, God has already chosen David to do the job preparing him for this moment. And in everybody's eyes, David is the most unlikely candidate. They stereotyped him. They looked at him. They looked at his age and his experience and said, this man can do nothing for God. I mean, every single person he comes into contact with, they stereotype him. He's just some young dude taking care of sheep, playing Bob Marley on his guitar, singing Buffalo Soldier. Oh, David can't do nothing. He's just a boy. Samuel comes to anoint the new king, and he looks at Eliab, and immediately he thinks Eliab's the man. God says, you know, you, I, I don't look at man's outward appearance. I look at what's going on inside. Even his own dad, you know, here comes the the prophet telling him, I'm going to anoint the king. He doesn't even bother to call his son. Finally, he says, none of these people are are the one. Do you have anybody else? Oh, yeah. David, he's just taking care of the sheep. Later on, you see David, he is uh, uh, delivering goods to his brothers. Even his brother stereotypes him. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 17, 26. Who does he think he is anyway? This is David speaking. This uncircumcised Philistine taunting the armies of God. Eliab, his older brother, heard David fraternizing with the men and lost his temper. What are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that flock of the sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at a bloody battle. Or in other words, you're just another typical teenager talking smack. You just want to see a good fight. Go home. Stereotypes his brother. And then word is going around that someone wants to take on this big bad giant. Saul's getting excited, he, and he says, where's the guy? Where's, oh, man, sorry about that. I'm getting too excited here. He said, where's the guy? Where's the guy? He comes, and he looks at this. He looks at David, and listen to what he says. 1 Samuel 17, 33, he shakes his head. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, 
And he is a man from his youth. And even when David goes against Goliath, Goliath is freaking out. You got to be kidding me. This is a joke. First Samuel 17, 42, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. And listen to what Nelson's commentary says. David lacked the signs of age and the scars that one would expect from a seasoned warrior. Unlike most soldiers, he was lacking a beard. First Samuel 17, 42, the message says this. He took one look down on him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple cheeked and peach fuzzed. Adam Clark says this, by his complexion, he supposed David to be effeminate. If you want to know what my commentary says, David looked like one of the Jonas brothers. <laughs> come on, man, his curly hair. Come on, dude, come on. <laughs> but beloved, can I tell you, God's perspective and choice are not determined by stereotype. God doesn't care what other people think or even what you think of yourself. He said that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Can you say amen? There was a touch of God upon David's life that transcended his outward appearance, his inward ability. Though David was a boy and looked like a boy, inside he was a giant slayer. And secondly, I want to talk about giant slayers because everybody has this picture in their mind of what a giant slayer look like and everybody looked at david and said he's not fitting this mold saul is trying to dress david for battle and what he thinks he needs to slay this giant and you read in our text he's putting on all this armor and it's just not it's too big for david it's david can't move in it and beloved i want to tell you we have a picture in our mind of what someone looks like who can do great things for God. We look at Pastor Mitchell. Oh, there's a great and mighty man of God. We read stories about A.A. A. Allen and Spurgeon and all these great people who sparked revivals in days of old. We read in the Bible and see pictures of, uh, in our mind of Peter and Paul. And the mistake that we make, beloved, is we disqualify ourselves because we don't think we meet up to that picture. Can you say Amen. Some people disqualify themselves because of their age or their lack of ability and gifting or I don't have any experience or I'm a new convert or I've been saved too long. I can't play an instrument. I can't act. Therefore, I can't do anything for God. I'm not a fancy speaker. I can't do this. I'm not like so-and-so. Therefore, I can't do anything for God. And you'll see this a lot, especially uh, with church kids. They can't imagine themselves doing anything great for God, but they play guitar. So what do they do? They excel at the ministry they're in, which you should excel. You should strive for excellence. David did. He was he was the best guitar player of that of that time. He was the Jimi Hendrix of his day. <laughs> Read your Bible. King Saul has this uh, this spirit upon him, this distressing spirit. He says, man, I need someone who can play the guitar really good, dude. Oh, man, have you checked out the Cornerstone Club? This dude named David, man, everybody says he's the next Jimi Hendrix. Bring him in. And, you know, David's, ah, and then Saul's like, oh, dude, oh, yes, you know. Man. And we should excel in our ministry, but a lot of times that's where people stop because they can't imagine God doing anything greater in their life. Sometimes 
Pastors. You know, my pastor always tells me, you should excel in everything in the ministry. And we'll, we won't go beyond just excelling in knowledge or our ability to speak or prepare sermons. And we stay within those boundaries and confines, thinking that God cannot do anything beyond because we don't look or we don't fit the mold of what these other great people of God look like. But I want to tell you, God desires to do greater things than you. Can you say amen? Beyond your ministry. And God can transcend age, experience, ability. I don't care if you've been saved for 10 years or 10 days. God could do great things for you. That's why Jesus, he looked at his disciples. They were rednecks at that time in Israel. You know, they come to Jerusalem. Jesus, did you see these buildings? And Jesus looked at me. You're, you're going to do the same things that I do, even greater. And they can't imagine that. But why did Jesus say that? Because Jesus doesn't lie. And they could only see, they can't, couldn't see beyond themselves. But God says, if you could just let me use you and believe in me, is there someone that can stand in the gap? Is there someone that will believe that I can do great things in their life? Listen to 1 Samuel 17, 34. You know, Saul's just looking at David and says, dude, you, you're in the wrong fight, man. You are way outclassed. Your servant, and David said this, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck it and killed it. This is the Jonas brother. Okay, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me. From the hand of the Philistines. Beloved, I want to tell you there are certain things that your guitar playing or your ministry or your personal ability is not going to be able to do. God wants to take us beyond our natural ability. God wants to use us. And think with me, is there not a cause? People are accusing David and David looks at his brother and the people and says, is there not a cause? Think about this city that you live in. This people, these people need Jesus. They don't need a program. They need something beyond a good concert. And we need to put on concerts. But they need something beyond that, something supernatural. You know, just in my city alone, I mean, we have teenagers murdering each other. Foul sexual perversion. I can't even tell you some of the things. People come to my church and they tell me the things they're, they're, they're involved in sexually. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't even tell you over the pulpits. Suicides. People that are hurting addictions. There's so many people that we run into that are just connected to our church. You know, we had a, a, a one of the people in our church. Uh, they had a, a cousin that hung himself, only 17 years old. People that are uh, just their whole lives are shattered. You know, in our city, there are 16 year old girls prostituting themselves. There's a family that we're trying to reach, the Blount family. You know, we went to their house to visit. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a black family. This mother's like in her late 40s, and she has five kids and four grandkids all live in this little apartment. There's, there's roach clips and, and bongs and pipes everywhere. These kids are running in filth. Abused children. There was one brother in the church that told me uh, that before he, he got saved, he went to go do a drug deal. In federal way, or he went to go pick up some drugs. He went in this house, and the woman who sells drugs, she had a needle in her arm, and she's sitting like this. And there's a little baby, one and a half year, uh, one years old, that's duct taped to the crib, just hanging like this. The whole crib full of the baby's, you know what? And what happened is the mom says, "You want to cry? 
you want to poop, then I'll then you do it in your crib and duct tape this kid. Beloved, is there not a cause? Can I tell you that you and I are the answer? But is there a man who will stand in the gap? God does not care about what you can or cannot do. He wants to move in your life. But we have got to go beyond ourselves and do something for God. And when we were sinners, we did crazy things. I remember being in high school at a party. And the guy said, Adam, watch this, man. What are you going to do, man? Watch. He strips off his clothes butt naked and runs. And everybody's with their beard. I said, wow. Go to a football game and people take off their shirts who should be taking off their shirts. They don't have the... They have a shape, but it's definitely round. Paint their bodies and their faces. You know, they'll get into fights, you know. Scream and act like maniacs. Get into fights purposely with people that they know they're going to beat them up. I know this guy is going to kill me, but watch this. They're going into a battle knowing they're going to lose, but just to do it for the sake of doing it. Beloved, as Christians, shouldn't we exert that same energy and zeal now that we're living for the living God? We need to go out uh, beyond ourselves. You know, for teenagers, man, go, go to your school and stand on the cafeteria table and pull out a bullhorn and just start preaching. I tell the guys in my church, if you ever get arrested for preaching the gospel, the church will bail you out. So they took me seriously, Pastor. I almost got arrested. We had a report a couple Sundays ago. He was giving a report on Sunday. He goes, we almost got arrested, but pastor said he'll bail us out, so we just did it. (laughs) Stage a fight right in the middle of the mall. And when a crowd comes, preach. (laughs) You know, there was one couple, uh, you know, they, they staged this thing where, you know, the, the, the girl, she's walking with a purse, and the guy, he comes with a flower. Hey, baby, it's so good to see you. I, I'm very, very sorry. Don't tell me you're sorry. She grabs the flowers, throws them, and everybody's looking. I hate you. She smacks him across the face. Don't smack me across. He grabs her by the shirt. By this time, there's a whole crowd. I hate you. You, know, you And they're going off, and then, you know, the other people, they're passing out flyers. <laughs> and everybody's looking. Then they, and then the guy goes like this, I'm going to, and he, and everybody's going, and he goes, that used to be our life. But today I am changed and transformed. Everybody, what is going on? <laughs> Beloved, do something crazy for Jesus Christ. God wants you and I to be giant slayers. But you know, we like to stay within our boundaries. We want to be Bapticostals. <laughs> Clean, sterile. We give medical names to the things that we used to cast out. And the problem is nobody wants to take the opportunity when God gives it to them. Because we're afraid or our pride might be marred or what if something doesn't happen? That's not on you, beloved. God has already given you the command. It doesn't matter what the the outcome is. He's the king. He's the boss. He's the Lord. We need to do it. He says, pray for the sick. Preach the gospel. You know, David, he took every opportunity that came at him. Consider this. He's a shepherd. You know all the shepherds? Hello, little sheep. A lion comes. 
Now, I'm sorry. If I'm the shepherd and a lion comes, I'd be like, you know what, Mr. Sheep? That's why I told you you need to stick with the flock. That's what you get. Eat him up, lion. Come on, sheep. Let's go. That's what you get. That's the kind of shepherd I would be. If I saw a bear coming, come on, sheep. Okay, whoever's straight. That's your fault. Your dinner if you don't come. But David sees the lion. He's like, oh, yeah. Then here comes the music. He's crazy. Who in their right mind would grab a lion by the beard? I mean, kid. But see, David believed that God could do something beyond his own ability. That's supernatural. God gives you the opportunity. You walk in the mall, you're witnessing someone. They're walking like this. The Holy Ghost says, pray for him. Uh-uh. <laughs> hey, you want to come to my church? We'll pray for you at my church. Beloved, you just missed your opportunity. And God will give you opportunity time and time again. And after a while, God will say, forget it. We need to go beyond ourselves. You know, the men and women in our church are seeing a supernatural dimension because they are stepping out. They're going to the hospitals, praying for the sick and seeing God move in their life supernaturally. You know, a few uh, weeks ago, uh, I was preaching and the disciples cast out a demon in the foyer. You know, I'm on like, and in closing, Shikalamanda, Rabbi, all the heads turn. I said, uh, so I just told him, hey, it's okay if you uh, cast out demons, just close the foyer doors when you do it. <laughs> you might scare away your visitors. Beloved, it's a supernatural that will attract uh, sinners. You know, just last Sunday, we casted out a demon in the church. This lady came. She wanted prayer Sunday night. We said, okay, she's an older lady. You know, she had so many rosaries and beads around her neck. She looked like Mr. T, you know what I mean? <laughs> so we're going back and forth. I said, you know, if, you know, she's like, I'm in pain everywhere, especially my legs. You know, she's, she's probably like in her late 60s. Grandma. And I said, you know... Just trust me. I've, I've done this many times. Just if, take it off. If you want to put it on, that's your choice. You know, but just trust me. Just take it off. And she says, uh, I can't believe I'm taking off the Blessed Mother Mary. I said, it just, just, you know. So she finally takes it off. I sit her down. We start praying. I said, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And, and you know, I'm, I'm running her through the motions. We got a lot of visitors in church, but I don't care. This is, this is the opportunity that God wants to, to, to make. So... You know, we're praying and I break the spirit of witchcraft. I break the spirit of witchcraft. I break the spirit of idolatry. I break the spirit of... (sighs) (laughs) All the new converts. What's going on, you know? Say it. I break the spirit of idolatry. I break the spirit of... (sighs) And I said, you foul demon... I mean, the whole church, whoa, you know, all the newcomers, Shando Robo, you know, the visitors, what is going on? I mean, this grandmother, you know, we lay hands and loose in the name of Jesus. How do you feel? I feel great. I love it when opportunity arises, take it. Well, what if nothing happens? Well, nothing's happening already. If you sit there, nothing's going to happen. 
It's like looking at that mountain. Someday I want to cross the, I want to climb that mountain. Ten years later, I want to climb. Well, take a step. You will get there eventually. God wants to make us into giant slayers, but will we allow him to? I want to close with this. Breaking strongholds that release fruitfulness. God uses the giant slayer to break strongholds. Let's go back to our text. Look at the look at the setting. The armies of God are paralyzed. There's no movement. There's fear. There's terror. They're supposed to be enlarging their borders. They're supposed to be crossing enemy lines and attacking, but they're just standing there paralyzed, not moving anywhere. I think the Bible says 40 days this went for. And now David comes along the scene, strikes Goliath with a stone, run towards him and chop off his head. Now take note of what happens. 1 Samuel 17, 51. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road. Then the Israelite army returned and plundered the the deserted Philistine camp. This all happened after David killed the giant, beloved. The enemy that was standing in their way, now they have run, they have fled. Fear in the people of God is now being replaced with confidence. When this confidence comes upon them, now they are advancing. Can I tell you, God uses the giant slayers to break strongholds. There are strongholds in our cities. But is there a man that will stand in the gap? Is there not a cause? Will someone advance and move forward beyond their boundaries that they have set? Will someone believe that God can do something great in their life? Surrendered people that won't let anything stand in the way can spark a revival. Because they're saying, God, do whatever you want through my life. I'm not going to put any limitations on you. I want to tell you the spirit of God is not bound by the spiritual demographics of your city. You may think there are big demons in your city, and there probably are, but to God, they're just demons. God's finger, the Bible says, can establish the kingdom of God. God knows what he can do, but he can only move through his people. What may seem like limitations to you are not limitations to God, beloved. If God can part the Red Sea, if God can stop the rotation of the earth so some people can fight, can I tell you God can bring revival in our cities? If God can raise the dead, can I tell you he can raise the dead in our church and make us a church full of the spirit of God doing something powerful for God. God will only go as far as the man or woman will allow him to go. God can do great and mighty supernatural things through a person who is surrendered and will not let anything get in the way of what God wants to do. I just have one question for you. Will you be a giant slayer for God? That's all I have. Thank you.